verse 12. Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer once again that he anoints the, uh, the preaching of the word. Father, in Jesus' precious name, there's so much fake news out there, Lord. And then when the truth is proclaimed, it often gets canceled. And so we pray, Lord, the people that are here, they're not here for fake news. They can get fake news through the media, the public schools, government-run schools. They can get fake news at the local bars. But they walked into a church to hear your truth. And we know, Lord, not all churches in America are still proclaiming your truth. And so I pray, Lord, that your truth would be proclaimed from this pulpit today, that you would anoint me with your spirit, anoint me a fallible man to proclaim your infallible and inerrant word. Fill me with your spirit so that I would proclaim your truth and then open hearts and minds, including my own, to receive truth from your word. I pray, Lord, that you would empower us to apply these truths so that we could be more like Jesus each and every day until that day when your son, the Lord Jesus, takes his stand upon the earth. Help us, Lord, to, to not be lukewarm. Help us to be solid in our faith, especially during these trying times when the separation of the sheep and the goats is going on right now as we speak. And so I just pray, Lord, you'd give us the courage to proclaim your truth, whether our culture loves truth or not. And since we live in a culture of lies, proclaiming, proclaiming truth can get you in trouble. And so I just pray, Lord, that you would protect us as individuals, but you would also protect us as a family of believers. And um, if things get tough and uh, and... Leaders get removed. I just pray, Lord, that uh, that you would empower those who have to step in and fill that gap and just help us to uh, turn each home, each man into a pastor and each home into a church uh, because the days are coming. We might have to go underground. But we just love you, Lord, and may we proclaim your truth until your son returns in, in power. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Okay, so at First Thessalonians, uh, Paul is telling the Thessalonians to set themselves apart for God and set themselves apart from sexual immorality and that uh, we are to grow in love towards one another and we're to be comforted when Jesus returns. He will bring our deceased loved ones with him. And, um, and so Paul tells us to be watchful to be ready for Christ's return. We don't know the exact time of Christ's return, uh, but we know the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When people say peace and safety, then destruction comes. But believers are not in darkness. We're not ignorant. We should not be caught off guard. We know the signs. So when we see the signs occurring, we should know that we're getting close. So we're, we don't walk around in darkness. Uh, so what is our job? It's our job to put on, not to pick dates, but to put on the breastplate of faith and love. Remember, faith and love in action is righteousness. Through faith in the Lord Jesus and through faith in his word, through our love for God and our love for others, we're to live godly lives in the midst of this wicked world. We have to put on the helmet of the hope of salvation. We've got to have confidence that we're saved. Because that's our only protection from what's coming down. And Paul warned the Thessalonians, and that warning is even clear to us, even probably clearer today. God's not appointed us for his wrath. We're going to obtain salvation. He's going to deliver us before he brings his wrath to the planet Earth. The Lord Jesus Christ died for us, and therefore we need to comfort each other. Jesus loved us enough to die for us. Um, he loves us enough. He's going to come back and, uh, and rescue us. And so we need to comfort each other. Now in verses 12 and 13, Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5 that we need to respect godly leaders. Look at verses 12 and 13 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you, those who work 
among you and are over you in the Lord. So he's talking about spiritual leaders. <clears throat> They're over you in the Lord and they admonish you. And, you know, word admonish, it could include encouraging people to do the right thing, but also correcting people to prevent them from doing the wrong thing. Okay? We got a lot of pastors today that don't admonish. They just try to make you feel good. Okay? But Paul says, you got to recognize those who work hard among you and are over you in the Lord and are doing the Lord's work, and they admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. So Paul is saying, look, we need to recognize and submit to godly pastors because their authority is from the Lord. Okay? Now, you know, the other side of the coin is James 3.1, where James says not many of you should be teachers because teachers incur stricter judgment. Just because a guy gets behind a pulpit doesn't mean it's a godly pastor. Okay? The health and wealth heretics, they quote scripture more than we do, and it's always out of context. The Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, are constantly quoting scriptures out of context. Satan quotes scripture. He did it from the beginning. Quoted scripture out of context to lead people astray. But you, So Paul says you've got to recognize... And submit to godly pastors. Now, that's important. you got to recognize. Because this guy's down the block. And there's lady preachers. There's gals all around. you got to recognize who is the true preacher from God and who is a false preacher. Okay? And, uh, and, and, and you don't use the grading scale that the world uses, okay? It's not my job to make Joe Biden happy, okay? It's not my job to make Bill Gates happy, okay? In fact, it's not even my job to make you happy. It's not my job to make myself happy, okay? I mean, not only did I learn most of what I know about God from the Bible, I learned most of what I know about me from the Bible. And so you got to recognize those leaders appointed by God. Just because a guy calls himself a pastor doesn't mean he's appointed by the Lord. Okay? you got to test them with the word, like the Bereans. Okay? Diligently study the scriptures. you got to test what I say. you got to test with John. What Pat, what Willis says. But once you recognize that, hey, this guy's not perfect, but he's preaching the word, and God's appointed him to be my pastor or to one of my pastors, well, then you got to recognize and submit to godly pastors because their authority is from the Lord. Okay? If you don't respect a good police officer, you're disrespecting the law because that's where his authority comes from. So assuming I'm doing my job, if you disrespect me uh, when I'm proclaiming God's truth, you're actually disrespecting the Lord. Okay, That's why Jesus said in John 15, 18, if you find the world hates you, know it hated me before it hated you. Okay? Now, this is not about Phil Fernandez. If I'm not proclaiming God's truth, if I'm preaching heresy, you better confront me. If I don't recant, you better get me out of here and get somebody behind the pulpit who is proclaiming God's truth. Okay? But when you recognize a godly pastor and you're in his church, you submit to the godly pastor or pastors because their authority is from the Lord. Now, this was very important for Paul to get this across to the Thessalonians because the Thessalonian pastors were probably fairly new believers. Paul had only been there for a few weeks. And then and they kept believing despite the persecution. Then he sent Timothy to check up on them, and they were doing good. But one of the complaints probably was, yeah, but, you know, it's like, you know, former pagan Harry was telling former pagan Joey, why should I submit to your leadership? You were worse than me when we were pagans. 
And Paul's saying, look, me and Timothy selected Joey because he's more equipped to be a pastor than you. Sorry we don't have, like, you know, Paul and Timothy and Silas maturity level people. You got new believers. And so don't don't be too rough on these guys. If they're preaching God's truth, submit to them and all. You know, and I've had people over the years, I told the story, people who have told me to my face that God has called them to visit different churches and to kind of smack down pastors, okay? And, and by the way, that might be your calling. But, you know, go to the, uh, the, the female New Age pastor at the Methodist Church on Brownsville, okay? There's some smacking down that should go on there. The Unity Church, they closed up their shop, so God smacked them down, okay? You got the Unitarian Universalist on uh, Perry Avenue, okay? Uh, they're not preaching the truth. So, I mean, you, you got a lot of, and then, and then, you know, there might be some pastors, and I used to say there's liberal churches and there's Bible-believing churches. But then I found out a lot of the Bible-believing churches don't, are afraid to preach the Word of God, so they turn themselves into self-help, seeker-sensitive type churches. So then I said, okay, there's Bible-believing church, there's, there's liberal churches that don't believe at all, okay? There's anti-Christians go there, okay? Then there's Bible-believing churches that don't have the courage to preach the Word. Then there's Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches. But then what I found out, there's even a fourth category. Because I've had some some Christian brothers and sisters visit me from real far out and acting like our church is real, real unique. And I said, we got a lot of Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches. And I couldn't understand what they were getting at, but what they found is that a lot of, even a lot of Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches, even when it's obvious, they don't apply what's being taught. They don't speak truth to power. Okay, they don't call out names. Okay, whether it's heretics within the church or powerful billionaires or government leaders who want to step on the throats of humans. Uh, and so basically what I'm getting at is not only are there liberal churches that don't even believe, there's Bible-believing churches that just water things down. They don't want to offend anybody. There's Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches, and then there's Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches that refuse to give up their prophetic voice. Okay? Now, Jewish tradition said it was Isaiah who was sawn in two. Jeremiah got beat up and thrown into uh, a pit. Okay? <clears throat> so uh, we got to call it like it is. <clears throat> and so basic, basically, you find a small struggling, uh, you know, pastor or a small struggling church or whatever, and uh, don't, don't, don't go around and smack the guy down. What I told the, the, this lady that said that it was her ministry to go put pastors in her place, I said, go to the big churches. Go to the, the big, you know, mega churches and all. Now, they're, they're not even going to let her talk to the pastor. But they're the guys that are watering it down. When, it's, when you got a guy that's just, you know, preaching God's truth, and he gets slammed for it on a pretty regular basis, leave the guy alone. Just encourage You don't have to go. Nobody is forced to go here. I hope nobody thinks they're forced to come here. Maybe the little kids, you know. Mommy and daddy like the church. The kids are stuck with it. But um, you're not forced to come here. If you think Phil Franz is missing something, go, go to some other church, okay? But you get a, you get a pastor who's preaching the word. You know, go, get, go light on him. I remember this guy, Gary Zacharias. Last name was Zacharias and no relation to, <clears throat> to Ravi. <clears throat> older gentleman, older than me. And, uh, but he knew, <clears throat> he used to listen to my lectures online, late 1990s, early 2000s. And he was just coming into apologetics ministry. The guy did a great job, did a great presentation. And then he asked for questions. This was in San Diego. And so I raised my hand. And this guy, this elderly gentleman, great guy, him and his wife became our friends and everything. And, um, and he said, well, uh, 
those in the audience don't know, this is Dr. Phil Fernandez, and uh, he's been teaching apologetics since the 1990s, and and he was one of the big leaders in the movement when it got started. He tra- a lot of guy he trained a lot of guys that started apologetics ministries and and this and that. And I'm really new at this, so so he's probably going to ask me a a question that I'm not going to be able to answer, or uh, or he's uh, you know I'm a, I'm a new kid on the block and and uh, I'm. Uh, you know, so I just want to let you know that I might not be able to answer his question or he might have some critique of it. He gave his big, long thing, and he, and, uh, and he said, okay, well, what did you want to ask? And I said, uh, you mentioned the book that is documenting miracles, biblical miracles going on around the world. I didn't catch the name of the author. And so he gave me the name of the author, and I wrote it down, and then he moved on. Later on, went back back to Washington and bought the book. And after the whole thing was over, he came up to me and he said, thank you for throwing me a softball question. Now now that nobody else is around, what was your real question? And I said, no, that was it. I thought you did a great job. And, but, he, but you know, but wh- what have we done in the evangelical church, the apologetics community, that when a new preacher steps up and he preaches the word, he thinks he's going to get slammed because the guy didn't dot one I or cross one T. Is that really what we do? You know, this guy was a retired high school teacher deciding to take a vow, a vow of poverty and become an apologist. He needs encouragement. And, um, and so that's all Paul is saying. Paul's saying you got rookie pastors out there, fairly new believers, recognize the godly ones and submit to their leadership. Their authority is from the Lord. Appreciate their work. Look at Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13 and verse 7. The author of Hebrews says, remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct. He's saying, look, if your leaders who have authority in the church over you, if they're preaching the word of God and they're practicing what they preach, follow them. Okay? Again, their authority is from the Lord. Hebrews 13, verse 17 Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So in other words, if you made me and the other elders in this church miserable in doing what God's called us to do, it's not going to profit you. So if we're preaching the truth, then encourage us, okay? Um are we rock stars? We're not rock stars. Are we really, we have like, you know, lots and lots of charisma? No. Okay? But if we're preaching God's word, just submit to godly leadership and encourage. Now, again, teachers encourage stricter judgment. We either doctrinally go off or behavior-wise go off, teachers encourage stricter judgment. Okay, it comes with the turf. But but Paul and the author of Hebrews are just saying, look, if somebody is is preaching God's word, okay, submit to them, encourage them. If nothing else, just leave them alone. Okay, and uh, look at First First Timothy chapter five. Verses 17 through 20, Paul says this, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all, teachers incur stricter judgment, that the rest also 
may fear. See, when you're a Christian leader, if you fall into sin, you can bring lots of people down with you. And so you incur stricter judgment. But Paul is saying, look, if you got elders, they should be worthy of double honor, especially if they labor in the word and doctrine. So if they're studying God's word and teaching God's words, like the apostles in Acts chapter 6, when the Greek-speaking Jewish widows who converted to Christianity were not getting fed as much as the Hebrew-speaking widows, that's very important. I mean, you don't want a whole bunch of Christian widows starving to death on you. That's very important. Guess what? It's not as important as the word of God in prayer. And so the apostles said, we lead the church. We need to devote ourselves to the word of God in prayer. Let's find seven spirit-filled guys who happen to have Greek names and Greek-speaking Jews who had converted to Christianity, had come to Christ. Let's get these guys to, to feed those, okay? They dedicated themselves to the word of God and prayer. So you don't muzzle the ox, okay? Um, and so what Paul's saying is, look, best-case scenario, and believe me, with, with taxation, with the government, the amount of money, the percentage that the government takes away from people, it is nothing like ancient tyrannical governments. They'd be luck lucky to get 2 or 3% from you. Okay? The government's taxing us. Whatever you got left after the government tax you, then you go buy food and you're getting taxed or clothing and you get taxed on that too. Okay? So keep in mind, back then... You know, they were using real money, basically, real silver and gold, and um, they weren't getting hit with a lot of inflation. So Paul's just basically saying, look, if you got a, you got a preacher and he's preaching God's word, take care of him so that he can dedicate his life to that, okay? <clears throat> so <clears throat> that hopefully your, your pastor won't have to deliver Domino's pizza, okay? And, and believe me... <clears throat> My last observation evaluation at school, because I'm horrible at classroom management, you know, I, I need to keep an eye open in case Domino's is, is hiring as a, uh, as a last resort. But whatever the case, here we got a good deal because I get to teach the Bible full time and get paid for it and so get a supplemental income uh, from the church. So I'm not a muzzled ox, okay? If anything, I'd like to do a little bit less teaching so I could do a little bit more writing. Um, but I'm not a muzzled ox, <clears throat> except when um, YouTube tries to muzzle a little bit. You know, that's a that's a whole other <clears throat> whole other thing there. Um, but Paul says, "Look, don't muzzle the ox. You know, allow the preachers to be able to dedicate their lives to the preaching of the word." And the labor is worthy of his wages. That's his double honor. And I've heard pastors abuse that. And um, one local pastor who got run out of town, <clears throat> he interpreted double honor as whoever was the highest paid guy in the church, you double that, and that's what the pastor should make. And that's just... Uh, that's just plain baloney. Now, the guy was a control freak, very cultic in his leadership. They ran him out of town eventually. So a happy ending for that story. Uh, but what does double honor mean? You just read earlier, <clears throat> starting in verse 3 in First Timothy chapter 5, honor widows who are really widows. <clears throat> okay? Widows who are widows indeed. What Paul says, a widow who's a widow indeed, she's too old to, to remarry. Okay? So chances of this lady getting married are pretty much zero. And she's got no brothers, fathers long dead, got no brothers to take care of her. Well, she's a widow indeed. She's going to be homeless. This Christian widow is going to be homeless if the church doesn't take care of her. So you honor the widows, and then you make them prayer warriors for your church. Okay? Now, in that context when it says that the pastor is worthy of double honor. I mean, it's like, okay, they're worth, they should receive twice what the widows are receiving. Well, the, the, the widows are pretty much, they're just getting food and shelter. 
So double honor doesn't mean that the pastor is going to be driving around in a real fancy car and things of that sort, okay? The, the emphasis is that Paul would rather have the pastor worried about his next sermon, worrying about his next sermon, preparing his next sermon, than being worried about making the next mortgage payment, okay? That's all he's saying there. Okay, so don't muzzle the ox. Okay, and um, if I came up here and it's like I wanted to study God's word, but I couldn't because I had to do all kinds of stuff to put food on the table, and then I have to come up and apologize. And Paul said, "Don't don't muzzle the ox." Okay, the laborer is worthy of his his wages, and don't accept an accusation against an elder unless there's evidence. Okay. I'm telling you, I have been slammed. And these are not people that are here now. They move on and they try to spread a little cancer here. Sometimes they do. And then they move on and spread a little cancer at other churches. And then eventually their superficial Christianity comes to a screeching halt and their families are destroyed or whatever. And they find out they're really not a prophet or a prophetess. And... um and that type of thing. Uh, but I've been slammed at times for my motives. That, yeah, you're preaching God's word and you're applying it, but we think your motives are wrong. So these people are reading my minds. You know, reading my mind. It's like, it's like, look, you know, what did Paul say to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 4? I don't even read my mind. I'm not even sure. All I know is God said, study the word, and preach it, and I'm going to do it, okay? And I'll let the Lord judge my thoughts when I get to heaven, okay? And uh, and that's that's all Paul's saying. Just, you know, you recognize that a, a guy's a godly pastor, and you're in his church, submit to his authority. His authority's from the Lord. Now, this is, keep in mind always, <clears throat> whether it's a wife submitting to her husband or a family submitting to a pastor, or submitting to the government, our submission to God always comes first. Okay? So I start spouting heresy from the pulpit or living a sinful life. Uh, that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about the godly pastor who is preaching God's truth and living a life consistently with that. Is he perfect? No. Not perfect. And um, I love that the people here are willing to overlook uh, areas where I fall short and stuff. They're saying, look, in general, the guy is, you know, preaching God's truth. I don't agree with him on everything. And he's preaching God's truth. And he's, he's by the power of the Holy Spirit, trying to live consistently with that. You know, now I need to encourage him. Okay. And, um, and appreciate their work. And, um, so, uh, and, and Paul says back in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 13, right after saying that, hold them in high esteem and love them. And then he says, be at peace among yourselves. And he's not really changing the subject there. Uniting under godly leadership will bring peace to a local church. You want to really disrupt things. Constantly argue with the pastors, constantly crit criticize them, and this and that. And by the way, you know, you might have good reason to criticize them, and if they don't take your advice, you might need to just dust the sand off your sandals and move on to another church. Um, but if the pastors are preaching God's truth and living consistently with it, not perfect, then unite under the godly leadership, and that's going to bring peace to a local church. Okay, um, and uh, so respect godly Christian leaders, and hopefully we're those kinds of leaders here, that kind of leader here uh, at uh, Trinity Bible Fellowship. Now, back in First Thessalonians chapter five, verses fourteen to twenty-two, Paul tells us to rejoice and pray and test all things. Okay, so verses fourteen and fifteen. Now we exhort you, we encourage you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. 
Comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Okay? And uh, so Paul says, look, warn those who are unruly. You know, people who don't play by the rules. People who are constantly uh, disrespecting pastoral authority, disrespecting God's word. And... um, you got to warn those who are unruly. You know, this idea, well, Jesus is my Savior, but he's not my Lord. What are you talking about? If you're trusting the true Jesus of the Bible, he happens to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is your Lord. Okay? So you get an unruly member, you got to confront the person. And then comfort the faint-hearted. You know, probably in in Thessalonica, there were probably some of the believers that were faint-hearted because they thought, man, the end could come real quick. Tribulation is coming. Things are going to get real crazy. And they're faint-hearted. Well, comfort them and tell them, look, Jesus is our hope. Okay? Jesus will take care of us. Uh, Uphold the weak. We might have weaker brothers and sisters that... um, maybe uh, don't understand their freedom in Christ, like Paul talks about in Romans 14. And um, uh, it just could be somebody weak in faith. And we just got to encourage the brother, encourage the sister. Don't beat them down. Be patient with all. Um, You know, there's some people that can really push your buttons, even Christians. It can be hard to be patient with them. Um, in fact, I would say that the people that it's hard to be patient with, they're the ones that, that taught me and encouraged me to delegate more. Because it only takes one high-maintenance mer- high person, and that person could become the full-time job of the pastor if he doesn't delegate that authority to four or five other guys to come alongside this guy and help him out. And believe me. Our elders and then other godly Christians in, in within this church uh, have stepped up to the plate. You know, I, I get phone calls all the time and just and emails and Facebook messages and say, "Yeah, I don't, I don't deal with that." And then I give them like Willis's phone number, <laughs> and uh, um, yeah, it, it, it's it's good when we can come together and bear one another's burdens. Uh, as a church. And then Paul says, don't render evil for evil, do what is good for all. Look at Romans chapter 12. Don't render evil for evil, do what is good for all. So if you get wronged by somebody in the church, we're not supposed to say, okay, well now you got to get them back. No, we we got to learn how to turn the other cheek. This is not an easy lesson. But Romans 12, verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. So right there, people, if somebody's mistreating you, bless them. That's not easy. Okay? And in verses 17 to 21, repay no one evil for evil. Romans 12, 17 to 21, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. You see, but it says if possible. It's not, it's not, it's not possible to live peaceably with all men. Some people just refuse to be at peace with you. Okay? Verse 19, brother, do, brother, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It's the Lord's job to bring vengeance, not our job. Okay, we might, you you have the right to defend yourself, okay, and to defend others. You don't have the right to be the judge and jury and get vengeance. That's why right the next chapter, Paul goes right into, there's no chapter breaks in the original letter about submitting to the governing authorities because God has given the governing authorities his sword to bring vengeance down on the evildoer. So like in, uh, in the Old Testament law, 
somebody breaks into your house in the middle of the night, if you kill him, you're not, you're not responsible. You're not held accountable. But if the sun comes up and you kill the guy, yeah, then, then you're going to get charged. Okay? And so, in other words, somebody breaks into your house, you can defend yourself, and you might have to kill the person. You, can, you have the right to defend yourself and your family. But if the guy gets away, and then you see him in the marketplace the next day, and you run up and kill him, you're in a deep trouble there, okay? You got the right to defend yourself, but you don't have the right to take vengeance, okay? Uh, Paul talks, I mean, Jesus talks about that, about if somebody's sinning against you, talk to them. If they won't stop, get two witnesses, talk to them. If they won't stop, then you take it to the church, okay? And Paul's saying, why do you take your disputes and try to sue each other in the Gentile courts? where the church airs its dirty laundry before the world. And, um, and so Paul says in Romans 12, verse 20, Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Now, when I first read that, I was like, wow, that's great. If my enemy's messing with me, um, and I feed him when he's hungry, and then thirsty, I give him a drink, then then God is going to just like blast him with fire on his head. No, they used to go out to heat up their houses and get burning coals and put it on a basket and carry it on their head to bring it to their house. So he's basically saying, yeah, if your enemy's hungry, feed him, thirsty, give him a drink, because in doing so, you, you're going to keep him warm on a cold night. And, you know, when I found out what that really means, I was like, well, you know, Lord, I, I don't want to keep my enemy warm on a cold night. I'd rather have him be cold on a cold night. And then what the Lord is telling me and telling all of us, I want you to think like me. I want you to put on the mind of Christ and think like Jesus. But, but, but Lord, you know, my enemy... If he's hungry, I want him to starve. If he's thirsty, I want him to die of thirst. And what is Jesus telling us? Jesus is saying, well, what did I do to my enemies? Well, Lord, you, you died for us. When we were your enemies. And then the Lord said, okay, you want to be like me or not? so we'd be like Jesus. In Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay? Easier said than done. By, by the way, all of God's commands, you might look at these commands and say, that's impossible for me, I can't do it. Guess what? All of God's commands are impossible for us to obey from the heart. That's why we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Okay? The Holy Spirit can cleanse our hearts so that we can love God with everything we got. We can love our neighbors ourselves. We can obey God from the heart only through the power of God and only for his glory. And so back, and so don't render evil for evil. Do what is good for all men. And then Paul tells us in verse 16, rejoice always. Um, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but there was a time when... Um, I was a new believer, and uh, I wanted to memorize scriptures, probably because I wanted to sound smart back then. Um, but, you know, you sh we should be memorizing scriptures, treasuring God's word in our hearts. And so I memorized John 3.16. That wasn't too bad. Then I decided to go for like, okay, I'm going to pick the 100 verses that I like the most, and I'm going to memorize those. And so I worked on those for a year, and a year later, all I had was John 3.16. Okay? So what you got to do is you got to start small. It's like kind of like one verse. I'm just going to focus on, if I have no verses memorized, I'm going to focus on one verse for the next month. And you repeat it over and over again. Sometimes you quote half of it, and then the other half a little bit later. And... Um, uh, and then the second month, you memorize one more. Then eventually it gets to the point where you're actually exercising your brain. And so you start memorizing one verse a year. I mean, one verse a week. 
And then eventually it could be one, one verse uh, uh, a day. I mean, it's, it's, it's off the charts. But always make sure you study the passage so you're quoting the verse in context. And then anytime somebody has problems, you think about a memorization verse that deals with that, and you know the whole passage talks about it. Okay? And, um, but let me tell you something about rejoice always. If you're having a hard time memorizing verses, there's some good ones right here. You get some real quickies, okay? Um, and, and so uh, rejoice always, boom. You got a verse memorized right there. Uh, by the way, as you're really memorizing verses, and I'm, I'm not in the zone right now, but you get in the zone, you read a verse and you think, man, I, I like that verse. I want to memorize that. And all of a sudden it dawns on you, wait a minute. I have it memorized. I mean, it gets to the point, you just read a passage, you like it, it's memorized. But you got to keep reviewing them. So keep them on index cards or something. I got like my main 250, 300 verses that I've memorized. And I try to review them at least once a year. The one time I was trying to review them once a month. Okay. And um, um, with verse memorization, sometimes... I've been asked, you know, during a second song of two praise and worship songs, and they find out the chapel speaker didn't show up at school, and so they whispered in my ear and say, could you preach to the chapel speaker's not here? Uh, okay, so I got half a song, and what I'll do is I'll take a memorization verse and then break it down to three points in my head, and then when the song's done, I go up and then preach the message. Okay, we've got to be ready to preach every, every opportunity. But... Memorizing scriptures, hey, you got some really easy ones. You rejoice always. The next one, pray without ceasing. In verse 19, do not quench the spirit. 20, do not despise prophecy. You start out, don't work too hard. You know, start with those short ones and then build up. And then you get passages like 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which is a lot longer and all. But rejoice always. Rejoice always. Easy passage to memorize, difficult passage to apply. God does not command us to have feelings. He commands us to make the right choices. That means, contrary to what this world says, joy is a choice. Okay? We have to choose to rejoice uh, always. Um, back in Romans 12, 15, now let me just throw in this what Paul says too. Um, don't be that guy. I mean, you, I want you to have the joy of the Lord all the time. But don't be that guy that walks up to your brother or sister in the Lord and their loved one died. And then you start criticizing them and, and say, hey, you're supposed to have the joy of the Lord. God works everything for good. So this is God's will that your loved one died. Don't be that guy, okay? So keep in mind, as you rejoice always, uh, Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You can still have the joy of the Lord and weep, okay? So put yourself in the shoes of that person whose loved one died, and you come alongside him. And sometimes, sometimes I, you know, We'll do a memorial service, and I'll visit with the person before or after the memorial service, and I can't think of anything to say. That's okay. You just, sometimes you just got to be there. And if they're weeping, you weep with them. Okay? And if you can't experience their anguish, you just don't love them enough. Okay? So we rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. Man, wouldn't it be great if there's somebody, two people bumping into each other in uh, Walmart right now, and uh, ones uh, they're talking about different churches in the area, and they said talk about Trinity Bible Fellowship. What church is that? Well, that's the church where they rejoice with those who rejoice and they weep with those who weep. Now, is that conversation going on right now? I doubt it. <laughs> you know? But that's the way we got to be. I mean, uh, yeah, we rejoice with those who rejoice, but then we got to look and say, wait, why is that brother or sister hurting right now? 
what's going on in their life. Maybe you don't even have a need to know. I, I, I see people all the time. I know they're having a bad day, and it's none of my business. So I don't ask them. I don't interrogate them. But I just let them know, God bless you. I'm praying for you. You know, um, one lady I could tell she was having a really bad day. And it was at uh, years ago at All-Star Lanes, and I was getting ready to pay the check. And I noticed the lady was moving around real fast. She usually smiles, but she's like, looked like she was on the verge of tears. Um, and uh, I just said what I say to everybody. I say, hey, God bless you. And, uh, and then I said, uh, I'll be praying for you. Cause, you know, she, she said, thank you when I say God bless you. And then I said, I'll be praying for you. And she just broke down crying and just spilled her guts. But she want, they want to spill their guts. That's their business, okay? I don't have to know what you're going through. I know this world stinks. God put us in the garden and we blew it. And all I got to know is if you're hurting and you're weeping, I got to be willing to weep alongside you, Okay. If we can't do that for one another, maybe we ought to just stop calling ourselves a church, an assembly of believers, okay? Um, I'm telling you, bartenders often do a better job pretending to care for their customers than local church Christians do actually care for one another. And um, there's always a satanic counterfeit. But we got to, even when we're weeping with others, we still got to rejoice always. Joy, uh, joy is a choice. Look at Philippians 4, 4 to 9. Philippians 4, 4 to 9. Praise God for sermon audio. They don't cancel us. They don't block our message because of some kind of community guidelines and all. They don't tell you what the guidelines are. You find out the hard way. And, uh, you know, I don't have a problem, but some of the social media platforms, they just can't handle the truth. Okay? Well, it's my job to proclaim the truth, okay? And, um, but believe me, there's not going to be a place for us. Yeah, I gave this, gave this long talk in Arlington Bumper-to-bumper bumper traffic. I was gone for like 12 hours, and it beat me up my back. And I had to prepare like 15 hours because I decided I was going to give a one-hour lecture on the history of Western thought. So I had to cover pretty much 3,000 years in a one-hour message. And, um, uh, and, you know, I was real, real tired there. And... Um, And I just was basically proclaiming the truth. I don't even know why I brought it up as an example, but whatever the case, um, you do. You just preach God's truth. And if the world wants to cancel you, it can cancel you. And um, but, um, but whatever the case, I can't remember why I was bringing it up as, a, as an illustration. Just forgive me on that. Be patient with me. But on Sermon Audio, I got Philippians 4, 4 to 9. I titled the message... Paul's formula for joy and peace. I don't like biblical formulas because there's not a whole lot of them there, but this is a formula. Paul says, you want to experience joy and peace? This is the way you do it. And uh, so Philippians 4, the words joy and rejoice are mentioned more in Philippians than, uh, uh, than any other book in the Bible. And so Paul says in Romans 4, starting at verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always, Again, I will say rejoice. So first off, you got to choose to have joy. Now, now, happiness, when things go your way, you're happy. When things don't go your way, you're sad. That's a, that's a feeling. That's an emotion. Joy is a choice. June 9, 2009. The greatest man I ever knew. Uh, Joe Fernandez, my dad, died. And I had to go to his funeral. In fact, I had to preach the eulogy. The Catholic Church let me preach the eulogy. And um, 
Obviously, I gave the salvation message and all, but I had the joy of the Lord. Now, maybe it might have been easier that I lived 3,000 miles away, so I was only seeing him once every year or two. If I hadn't visited him every day, maybe it would have been harder. You know, later on in this passage, Paul's going to say, give thanks in all things. He doesn't say give thanks for all things. You don't thank God. Thank you, God, my dad died. No, you don't thank him for it, but you thank him in the midst of it that you know he's going to work it for good, okay? And you've got to choose to rejoice. I'm telling you, it's easy to choose to rejoice in America because we still got so much freedom left. Now, it's dissipating, but the fact of the matter is I'm not in a, in a cold, damp prison cell right now being given bologna. Say, I, will, I, won't eat, I will starve before I'll eat bologna. Um, um, my mother always gave me bologna sandwiches. She was just trying to torture me. And, um, and on moldy bread, okay? And by the way, you might think, well, America will never do that. We've been doing that to the January 6th, guys. Okay? So if you're on the wrong side of the political aisle, if you're not on board with this new world order, that's what you get. And the treatment from the prison guards is not real nice. Okay? Well, those days aren't here yet. Yet even in those days, if you're in a cool, damp prison cell, you and your buddy for preaching the gospel in a Philippian jail at midnight, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to sing praise songs and have the joy of the Lord. That's what Paul and, and, and Silas did. Now, there's no guarantee you're going to get an earthquake, okay? Uh, but even without the earthquakes... We rejoice. You might say, well, Pastor Phil, you don't realize how bad things are in my life. Hey, if you're saved, it could, it could be a lot worse. You're heaven bound. You can't choose to have joy no matter how bad things get on planet Earth when you know you are heaven bound because our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, has died on the cross for your sins and then rose from the dead to conquer death for you. And you can't rejoice. You might feel like, well, boy, Pastor Phil's yelling at me. No, I'm yelling at myself right now. I'm always a, I've always got the little wounded puppy dog. Well, right now I'm trying to balance being poor in spirit and being humble and acknowledge how ugly my sin is, even in the realm of my mind before God. But then I walk around like Mr. Grumpy, and I'm supposed to have the joy of the Lord. So how you balance those two, only God knows, Okay. But we got to rejoice in the Lord always, not just when things go our way. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And Paul says, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. No matter how bad things get, okay, you could go bankrupt and people should say, boy, that's a gentle guy. Okay? Let your gentleness be known to all men. Be anxious for nothing. Don't suffer anxiety. Don't worry. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, all the things that Paul's going to mention in the following passages, let your requests be made known to God. And then what will happen? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So think about the pure things from God's word. Verse 9, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. Follow Paul's example of obedience and the peace of God will be with you. So Paul's formula for joy and peace, choose to rejoice in the Lord no matter how bad things get. Be gentle to other people and don't stress out, but instead turn to God in prayer and if you turn to God in prayer from the heart, God, the peace of God that goes beyond human understanding will overwhelm you. And then focus your mind on the pure things of God's word, not pornography, not rotten stuff. Sometimes we watch the news too much and it just drags us down. Get your face in God's word. Meditate on these things. And then follow Paul's example. Obey what God's word says. Obey from the heart, okay? Uh, is to rejoice always. So Paul's formula for joy and peace 
you know, here's why we should never worry about anything. Because there's only two kinds of things you can worry about. Things you can change and things you can't change. Why should you not worry about things you could change? Because you could change them. Let's say you're spending more money than you're making. Don't worry about that. Just get on a budget. Start spending less than what you're making. Okay? Uh, then, uh, you, what about worrying about things you can't change? Well, if you can't change it, worrying isn't going to help. Is it going to accomplish anything? Yes. It's going to age you prematurely. You know, envy rots the bones. Heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones, Solomon says in Proverbs. So, uh, and so Paul's formula for joy and peace there, choose to have God's joy. And when things get bad, turn your heart over to the Lord. Turn to God in prayer. Meditate on the truths from God's word. Obey God's word. And that's, that's the, the formula for joy and peace. And now I'm going to end, and then Paul's going to tell us, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. You say, well, I've got nothing to be thankful for. Well, are you saved? You can't be thankful that you're going to heaven even though you deserve hell? And, uh, but in the passage we read this morning that Chris read, Psalm 30, verse 5, I'm just going to close with that. So if you remember nothing else from what I said today, you rejoice always. It's our job to rejoice. Why? Because our king is conquered. I don't care how bad things get, in the end we win because we've sided with the Lord Jesus and he will return. I don't care what the big wigs think, he will return and he will make his, take his stand upon the earth. But Proverbs 30, verse 5, I'm going to close with this. For his anger is but for a moment. Okay, and you know, maybe we've done things where God is angry at us, okay? But receive that correction from the Lord. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night. But joy comes in the morning. Maybe some of you are going to weep tonight because you don't know how you're going to pay your bills. Well, rejoicing comes in the morning. If you're trusting in the Lord. Maybe some of you are going to weep tonight because your loved ones died. Or life is just getting too rough or you're experiencing so much pain. And you're weeping during the night. But if Jesus is your king, if Jesus is your savior, you hang in there, brothers. You hang in there, sisters. Because we might weep through the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, Lord, I just pray for us here, and if there's anybody who's lonely or hurting or weary, things just aren't going right, maybe... Maybe they're just suffering for the cause of righteousness. Maybe they're suffering because they've been out of your will. And maybe there's going to be weeping tonight. But just remind us, Lord, that as we weep through the night, you weep with us. You hold us. You comfort us. And so we have that promise from you that if we trust in you, rejoicing comes in the morning. Help us, Lord, to submit to godly leaders. Help us, Lord, to, if possible, so long as it depends on us, be at peace with all men. But help us also to choose to rejoice. To rejoice always. For our king has saved us. Our king has conquered the grave. And our king will return in power and glory to take his stand upon the earth, to, to rescue us and to make things right on planet earth. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. All right, God bless you, everybody. Don't forget the potluck. Okay. So, okay.
We need a few guys to go downstairs and help move the tables. Everybody else is confined up here because you'll get in the way. You don't want the wrath of Kai. So 